Well, are we, uh, let's see, are we an audience that likes to fly? Y'all like to fly airplanes, get on airplanes? Just a couple of us, okay. Uh, morbid fear of flying, I guess, in this room? All right, there's a few, few more. All right, now I know we're, I know we're a church that likes to go to Nags Head because I see it on Facebook all summer long. Y'all like to go to Nags Head, don't you? I see a lot of hands on that. Yeah, absolutely. When you've been to Nags Head, have y'all done the, at Kitty Hawk, the, the Wright Brothers Memorial? There, you've seen that? How many of y'all have seen that? Yeah, okay, a whole bunch of us. You know what I'm talking about. Great place to go. I love to visit that place. And, and yes, because of the monument. Yes, because of the, the museum that is there. But I'll tell you what intrigues me. I, like, I just like to stand in a spot where I know, hey, right here, right there in that spot, human history was changed. You know, there, there's a couple of places and, and things where we can go and see something and be a part of it and think, man, something that changed human history happened right where I'm standing. Sometimes it's a, a person. Sometimes it's, a, it's an event or, or maybe like this. It's something like an invention. You know, we've got things that have happened that have changed the course of human history. Things like the printing press or computers or penicillin, indoor plumbing, praise the Lord, changed human history. Uh, and of course, human flight. You, you would add human flight uh, to that list. This has absolutely had a profound impact on life and on culture. As a matter of fact, when you consider how small it's made the world and, and, and how much our life and culture is, is around flying today, uh, it's hard to believe that it's really only been a part of our life 50, 60 years. I mean, that picture you just saw, that, that was a little over 100 years ago. But when you think about the, the mass population opportunity to fly, uh, I mean, that's relatively new when you think about a 5,000-plus year human history. We've only been doing this for, for a couple of years. And for good reason. It's impossible. Pe- people don't fly. We, we can't fly. There's a lot of evidence A lot of scientific evidence that says we can't fly. There's a lot of evidence that says when you put metal in the air, it comes down. Usually at a rapid rate of descent. I've been working on this scientific all day, all all weekend long. I've got a plane here. It's a very nice SR-71 Blackbird stealth bomber. Probably weighs, I don't know, upwards towards a full ounce. And yet, when you put it in the air, drops every time. I've got consistent scientific research all weekend long proving this. I, I, have, uh, I have thrown it, but I don't think that counts as flying. Now, if, if an ounce of, of metal can't stay in the air for even a second, then how does a Boeing 757-300, which weighs 272,500 pounds at takeoff, stay in the air? There's a lot of scientific research that says it won't, it can't. And yet... But a lot of us in this room have been on 757. And we've had the opportunity to fly somewhere, to go somewhere very quickly, very far away. We had all the faith in the world to climb onto that plane and do something that really is impossible. And, and that's fly. As a matter of fact, I bet when you got on the plane, you didn't even think the word faith. You didn't think, okay, I've been praying, my faith is strong, I'm ready to get on this plane now. We don't even, we don't even see that we're expressing faith in that moment. It didn't seem silly. It didn't seem fairy tale like because while there's good scientific evidence that gravity is still very much working, there's also some good evidence that says, hey, we've learned how to defy that. We've learned how to work with air and, and physics and, and the earth. We know how to fly now. We've got good evidence to do that. So we've got hope when we get on a plane. We don't even really think of that as faith, which is interesting 
that we would not consider the act of getting on a plane as an act of faith because in doing that, you're really, that's much more around the biblical definition of faith than the way you and I think of faith, the way the culture has taught us to think of faith. Because culture today is, has defined faith, religious faith, as, you know, that lives over there in the neighborhood with, with fairy tales and myths. Faith is what you do when you have no evidence. Faith is, faith is set up almost as juxtaposed, as the opposite of, of evidence and facts. Now, we're comfortable with the word faith because we, we sit in this room and we hear it all the time. But really, when we go out there into the world, faith is made really kind of small and insignificant. And yet, what there's being described as faith out there, that's not the way the Bible describes faith. Faith is not something you do in the absence of evidence. Faith is something you do in the Bible in light of the evidence. And our passage today comes to give us some evidence for our faith. A story, a, a journey of faith. Let's look at that story. Would you turn with me this morning to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. We're continuing our study here in Romans and uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, we've got some in the chairs in front of you. I hope you'll grab one and, and read along. Uh, what we have in the, in the chairs in front of you, what I usually read out of, is the Holman Christian Standard. Today I'm reading out of the New Living. It'll sound a little different, but it's saying the same thing. I've been using this a couple times in Romans. Romans chapter 4, and I'm going to begin in verse 16. It says there, so that's why faith is the key. God's promise is given to us as a free gift. And we are certain to receive it, whether or not we follow Jewish customs, if we have faith like Abraham's. For Abraham is the father of all who believe. That's what the Scriptures mean when God told him, I've made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and who brings into existence what didn't exist before. When God promised Abraham that he would become the father of many nations, Abraham believed him. God also said, your descendants will be as numerous as the stars, even though such a promise seemed utterly impossible. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though he knew he was too old to be the father, to be a father at the age of 100, and that Sarah, his wife, had never been able to have children. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this he brought glory to God. He was absolutely convinced that God was able to do anything he promised. Isn't that a great statement? Are you, are you absolutely convinced that God can do whatever he has promised? Verse 22, And because of Abraham's faith, God declared him to be righteous. And this wonderful truth that God declared him to be righteous wasn't just for Abraham's benefit, it was for us too. Assuring, giving evidence, it was assuring us that God will also declare us to be righteous if we believe in God, who brought Jesus our Lord back from the dead. He was handed over to die because of our sins, and he was raised from the dead to make us right with God. Now, the last time we were here looking at this, we, we looked at the first half of Romans chapter 4, and in that we saw Paul building a case, showing the evidence that, that you and I cannot make ourselves righteous before God. That word righteous very simply means right with God. It can also refer to being right with each other. 
The, the first half of Romans deals a lot with righteousness with God, our right standing before God. When we start getting to chapter 12, then we're going to start looking at how we can be righteous with each other, how we can be in right standing together. But Paul's been building this case for three and a half chapters that, that you and I are not going to be right with God by our efforts. And you know, while he builds this case and he gives us this evidence, we know it. We really can't argue that. I mean, we know. I mean, you know, I might be working hard at being good. I might be working hard obeying the rules. I might be trying to make sure I got all the religious duties covered. I mean, I'm, I'm working hard at this, this religious game. But the whole time I'm working, I know what's going on in my heart. Don't you? Don't you know what's in there? Don't you know what's going on in your mind? Don't, don't we know we got some stuff kind of tucked away in some, some dark corners of life? And so, you know, I'm trying to present this case, man, I'm good and I'm religious and I'm, I'm going to be right with God. But I know the evidence is there that I'm that I'm not. You know, it's interesting, even the, the those that, that promote the idea of a work salvation. And I talked last time about how every religion other than Christianity, every religion, every cult on the planet teaches a work salvation. Teaches that, that you get to God, whatever their concept of God is, whatever their concept of, of heaven or afterlife is, that you get there by your efforts, even though the evidence says it never adds up. And we know this because even those that follow those religions, they're filled with insecurity. They're filled with guilt. I mean, how much is enough? There's never a standard out there that says, now I know I've done enough. Now I can know with security, with no fear of guilt, that I'm in right standing with God. There's no evidence there to say that. Rather, the evidence says, I can't do this. And that's why God brings to us another way. And he says, faith, not your good works, not your religiosity. Faith is the key. And you and I have to hear this in a world where faith is made so small. We've got the Bible making faith big. It's huge. It's central. It's everything. And you know what? We're okay with hearing that in here, aren't we? I mean, inside these walls, we know we're going to hear the word faith. If not every sermon, we're going to hear about every other one. And I mean, we're even called a people of faith. So you know what? I can throw out the word faith and it doesn't. That's no news flash. That doesn't cause a crisis for anybody. But really, when we leave here, though, there's a big crisis with faith out there. We live in a world that's made it very small. We live in a world that's made it the stuff of, of fairy tales and myths. And then we've got God saying, no, it is all about faith. But understand, in the biblical concept, faith is not what you do in the absence of evidence. It's what you do in light of the evidence. Faith never the Bible never calls us to turn our brains off. Never says, you know, just ignore evidence. You don't need evidence. If you don't have evidence, then, then come to faith. The Bible never says that. What it says is with the evidence, God is safe. With the evidence, it says God is where you want to put your hope. And when you do, that's where you discover the power of God. That's where you discover the, the purposes of God. And most importantly, that's where you and I have our opportunity to see God. Our opportunity to live with God. Actually, it's grace that does that. It's God's grace that lets me see Him. But that grace enters my life. That grace travels into my life through faith. And so what, what, Abra, or what Paul does now is he comes and he gives us, he's going to build up a story uh, of faith. He's going to show us a story of faith that is evidence for us that, hey, 
while I live in a culture that mocks and, and makes fun of faith, man, I need to sink my life into this thing called faith. And he tells us the story of Abraham. He started the chapter with Abraham, and now he's ending the chapter with Abraham and Abraham and Sarah's journey of faith. You might remember from Genesis, starting in chapter 12, that, that Abraham is, is uh, God comes to Abraham when he's in the land of the Chaldeans. It's an idolatrous nation. It's a pagan nation. Abraham is an idolater. Abraham is a pagan. There was nothing about Abraham. There was no merit in Abraham that attracted God to him. God didn't look down on earth and say, look, there's the best one right now. We'll use him. Look, that one has a lot of potential. He surely can carry this off. There was nothing about Abraham that God said, that's the one. It's God's grace that chose Abraham. So he comes to Abraham and he says, listen, I'm going to give you land. I'm going to give you descendants. I'm going to give you an eternal blessing. Abraham says, man, yeah, sign me up for that. I'll, I'll do that. And so Abraham moves. And in that move, in moving to the place God called him to go, man, he experiences great prosperity. I mean, the promises, everything that God talked about begins to, to come about in his life. And he's just enjoying all this because it's just nothing but, well, no, I guess I shouldn't say it was nothing but good. Because in the midst of all this prosperity and protection, in the midst of all these promises, you know what? He's got some family squabbling. Y'all remember that whole situation with Lot? And, and, the, and the family had to divide. He's being attacked from without. A group of kings come and they steal his family. They steal all his stuff and they take off. There's a big chase scene on camels. It's awesome. You know, in the midst of all that, it wasn't just those kinds of problems. There was another big thing that happened. When I said the promises were fulfilled, I didn't say all of them. There was one promise still hanging out there. It was kind of a big promise. It was pretty important, Abraham. God promised him he was going to have a son. God promised him that he'd have descendants. You know, Abraham's name was actually Abram. And that name in the language means exalted father. Can you imagine that? Every single time he heard his name, it was a reminder that promise hadn't come true yet and you imagine every time he walks down the street hey exalted father uh, I, I don't have a kid hey here's your change exalted father no kid you want fries with that hamburger exalted father no kid hey god you know you, you promised this man i really i want to i, I want to be a father exalted or not i, I want to be a father God says, you know what? We need to change that. Oh, thank you. I knew, I knew you were going to do this. We're going to change your name. What? No, I didn't want to change name. I just want a kid. No, no, no. We're going we're to change your name from Abram to Abraham. We're going to change your name from exalted father to father of multitudes. You're kidding me. Really? I, I just One. One. One would be awesome. I, I'm, not one of the, I'm not looking for two cookies. Just one. Just one. Why change my name to father of multitudes? Are you kidding? I mean, when God said that, Abraham literally laughed. He laughed. Come on, God. What, what's that about? And so then Abraham says, you know what, God? Um, I got an idea. How about if we use Ishmael? So what's Ishmael? Ishmael's the name of a kid. Abraham's kid. You say, I thought, I thought you said he had no kids. He had no kids with his wife. And the one for whom God said the promise would come. And, and he said, how about if we use Ishmael, we'll use him as the promised one and we'll just call it even. We'll just call it even. You know, Ishmael is a place where Abraham and Sarah took the will of God. 
They took the promise of God and decided to bring it about themselves. We're in good company, aren't we? Because y'all have all done it too. So you're in good company because Abraham and Sarah did that. We know something about what God wants for our life. We know something of a promise of God for our life. And then somewhere along the way, we decide it's our job to pick it up and make it happen. And so that's what Abraham and Sarah did. And Sarah comes to Abraham and says, listen, this isn't going to happen. Look how old you are. Look how old I am. This isn't going to happen. But why don't you go over here and, uh, and sleep with uh, my servant Hagar like a surrogate. We'll have a surrogate here. We'll have a child through her. I always thought this was one of the most interesting conversations in the Bible. Can you imagine that? You, you want me to go? In case you're confused, folks, they made babies back then the same way we do today. Just making sure if maybe they need to catch up there. So you want me to go over here? Whatever you want, honey. You know, I just want to bless you. So uh, he does, they do, and there's Ishmael. We have a kid. And, and, you know, Ishmael, man's way of trying to make God's promise happen, Ishmael does end up becoming a nation, becoming many nations. Today we have a name for Ishmael's descendants. You know what they are? Muslims. This story takes place in a real world. And when you and I pick up God's promises and we say, I can take control of this, I can do this, we make a mess in the real world. That didn't work out real good, did it? Let God make His promises. And then let God fulfill them in His way and in His time. So God comes back to Abraham and Sarah and says, you two, no help from the outside, you two are going to have a son. And again, they laugh. I appreciate that, don't you? Aren't aren't you glad God put this story here? What if God put a story here of somebody that lived perfect faith? That'd be so discouraging, because I don't know about y'all, but my faith's not perfect. And if God puts out an example, a model for me there, and says, follow this, this is what faith looks like. But he puts out there Abraham and Sarah. And you know what we see? They got a journey of faith going here, but in that journey, there's a, a little laughter of doubt. In this journey of faith, they kind of jump in there and get their hands all over it and and they mess it up a little bit. Abraham's faith is not perfect, but that's okay. God doesn't need perfect faith. Did you hear that? God doesn't need perfect faith. As a matter of fact, look at your passage there. When it's talking about Abraham, do you notice where Paul says his faith never wavered? His faith never weakened? That's a big picture statement. Because as you step back from Abraham and Sarah's life and you, you look at their life in the big picture, man, it's a journey of faith. They start with God and they never back up. They keep moving forward. They keep seeking. They keep holding on to God, regardless of the circumstances going on around them. It is absolutely a journey of faith. Yeah, when you hone down in on it real tight, you see a little bit of laughter. Man, oh God, I'm not sure I can buy this. Hey God, let me do this. And they make a mess. Not a perfect faith, but it is faith. You know, all the time, don't we ask, well, how, how much faith? How much faith does it take? But didn't Jesus answer that question for us? Jesus said, all you need is the faith of a what? A mustard seed. 
Now, you and I, I've never seen one. I'm guessing most of you haven't. But in an agrarian society, in that audience that Jesus is speaking with, he's picking about the smallest thing that would come to anybody's mind. It's like a grain of sand. The point being, it's not the size. It's not how much faith. Any faith will move a mountain. Any faith. And guess what? Abraham and Sarah had any faith. And they believed God. And would you believe Abraham and Sarah believed God with less evidence than you and I have. They believed God. They, they went this whole journey with Him with less evidence than you and I have every day of our lives. All they had was a, a couple conversations with God and, and maybe a handful of ancient stories about that God and His power and His, his character and what He was doing. You said, well, wait a minute. You said he had some conversations with God? Man, if, I, if God would talk to me, I'd never have a problem with faith. I mean, isn't it, isn't it easy in our physical nature to think, boy, if I could see him, if I could talk to him, if I could touch him, man, I'd never have a problem believing in God. Yes, you would. That's what the evidence says. The evidence says that 100% of humanity that has an experience with God, that gets the big miracle, that gets the big experience, turns around and fails them. The Bible shows us that over and over and over and over. Folks, a miracle's not going to change your life. Seeing God would not make you all of a sudden instantly believe in Him with never a moment of doubt again. It's not what it takes. Faith is the key, not, not more evidence. Faith is the key. That's all they had. Conversation here. And don't, don't you, sometimes you wonder, did I hear that right? I mean, it's been a long time. So you'll start to even doubt the experiences you've had. But folks, you and I have every day of our lives. We have the Word of God. Every day I can go in there and learn about His character and His purposes and how He works. And sure enough, if my, if my faith is wavering a little bit, I can say, yeah, that's, that's what happened here. And, and God was still faithful. God was still good and true. And, and I've got something there every day. I've got the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. You have that too, to inspire, to encourage, to bolster our faith. We have much more than Abraham and Sarah ever had. But they held on to God. And they believed. And all of a sudden, one day, Sarah shows up. Baby bump. They have a baby. Little boy. Named him Isaac. You know what Isaac means? He laughed. You think that name had anything to do with their experience? He laughed. Man, their laughter of doubt had become a laughter of joy in God's faithfulness. Now, you know, you could read this story and say, but, but why? Why did it take so long? Why does, why does God make a promise back here and then wait 20 years? How many of you are holding on to a promise that was made 20 years? I mean, at that point, you, know, you just forget. Keep your promise. 20 years? That's a long time to wait for somebody... Why did God do that? Well, you know, if you think about it, if when God came to them the first time, Abraham's 80, uh, Sarah's 70. Now, you know, if they get pregnant and have a baby, I'm going to call that a miracle, aren't you? And we're praise God. Look what God did. This is awesome. God would get glory in that. 80-year-old man, 70-year-old woman. I imagine there's a few 80-year-olds there. I don't want that blessing. Don't, I don't want that miracle. Well, you come bring that miracle train. Keep right on going. I got another one in mind. But we call that a miracle, wouldn't we? We say, man, that's awesome. Look what God did. He'd get glory for that. But what would happen if he waited 20 years 
and now he's 100 and she's 90, he'd get that much more, remember a couple of Wednesday nights ago? He'd get that much more what? Greater glory. I mean, if he gets glory for an 80-year-old and a 70-year-old, what's he going to get down here? This is impossible. That much more greater glory. Let me ask you a question. Can God use your life to bring himself greater glory? Now, we're in church, so we're going to say yes. But before you answer yes real quickly, what if that meant a delay of something that your entire heart and soul wanted with everything you had? What if, what if that meant suffering? What if that meant a sense of loss? Would you yield yourself, God, if it will bring you greater glory? I'll wait. Are we open to that? You know what's interesting? As, as Abraham and Sarah traveled this 20 years, you know what happened? They fell in love with the God they trusted. And by the time they got to the end of the 20 years, they realized something. The prize was not the answer to their prayer. The prize was not a fulfilled promise. The prize was God. Look at verse 20. What does it say? The longer he waited, he grew in strength and he gave glory to God. God became the prize of his life, not the promise or the prayer. So Abraham and Sarah bring to us evidence Hey, you, are you thinking about this faith thing? Are you thinking about going with God and trusting in Him for, for righteousness? They bring us evidence. Hey, it works. Look, look at our journey of faith. It wasn't a perfect journey, but it was a journey of faith nonetheless. And as the story ends, we're reminded that Abraham is called the father of all believers. Paul says, man, we're used to calling Abraham the father of the Jews. Way too small. He's the father of all believers. Not necessarily a DNA connection. But we understand this, don't we? We, we, call Abra- uh, we call Jefferson and Adams and Washington. We call them our founding fathers. I don't, I don't know that I have any DNA connection to one of those guys. But they are the originator. They are the a father, the producer Of what we call America. Of what we call the American way of life. And we're children. We're the product of that American way. They're our founding fathers. They set the course for America. Likewise, Abraham set the course for faith. He's he's my father. He's the father. He's he's the, the father. We're children. We're believers. All of us. So. We've got this story, but remember, Romans is not a story. Romans is a, is a book of teaching. Every verse is, is teaching something. You don't find stories other than like what we've seen in Refor, where it's referring back to Genesis. But, but what does this story have to do with the key words in Romans? Justification, salvation, righteousness. This is what Paul's teaching about. What does this story have to do with that? Well, this story is evidence for you and I. It's evidence That it's safe, that it's good to put hope in Jesus Christ. God can do, don't we see this in Abraham and Sarah? God can do the impossible. Are you wondering today, can God do the impossible? Can God do anything he promises? Then I look at Abraham and Sarah's life, a real story, real historical characters. They really lived, this stuff all really happened. I look at their life and I say, man, God can do the physically impossible. He can can have a hundred-year-old man impregnate a ninety-year-old woman. Man, God can do the possible. He can take somebody who's not righteous. We've spent three and a half chapters in Romans seeing that, right? 
But through faith, he declares him righteous. So I look at God doing the impossible physically. I look at God doing the impossible spiritually. And there is evidence there for me to do the same. Now, I'm not trusting God for a kid or for land or descendants. No, the, the, the chapter ends by saying what I'm trusting is that when God gives us the evidence of Jesus Christ, who died on a cross for my sin, who was resurrected, that's evidence for me, very real historical evidence of the resurrection of Christ. I can look at that and say, you know what? I have evidence to believe that my sin and my death and my hell can be defied. Man, there's something a lot better than defy gravity. That can be conquered. That can be overcome. My inability to make myself righteous, God can do it. God wants to do it. God will do it. And this story, this evidence beckons us to put our faith and our hope in Jesus Christ. So where are you today? And I don't mean to be silly by this. I think it just works. Where are you today? Have you climbed aboard Air Jesus? Have you begun your journey, your flight of faith on Air Jesus? You know, you can kind of think about that in several ways. There are some of us in this room right here, right now, the answer would be no. You're still stuck in the terminal. There's a delay. You're delayed in your doubt. You're delayed in your fear. A lot of times, really what it is, we don't like to hear this. We don't like to say it. We're delayed because of our love for sin. I, I like my sin. I like where I'm living and what I'm doing. That's, that right now is working for me. That's where I'm finding security and hope. So we're delayed in that. Variety of reasons that we're delayed, that we've not stepped into Christ. Then there's some others in here. We, we have stepped into Christ. We came to a point in our life where we understood that, man, I can't be righteous. Man, I'm not going to get to heaven on my own. Man, I'm going to put my faith in Jesus. And we climb aboard air Jesus. But you know what? Let's be honest. We're just sitting on the runway right now. Have you ever done that? And I have. I have fallen asleep, taken an hour nap, woke up, man, I hadn't left yet. That's fun. You're kidding me. We haven't left yet? You know, I actually think that that's what's happening in a lot of the American church. We, we made a decision for Christ. We understood something about Christ. We, we decided to come into Christ, but man, we're just sitting there. We're sitting on the runway. Nothing's taken off. Nothing's happening. We're not going anywhere. Or maybe, maybe we've taken that, that role of Abraham. Now we're looking for the controls. I'll, I'll make this thing fly. Okay, I trusted in Christ, but now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live the religious life. Watch how good I can be at this. And we're, we're trying to control this flight. Or are we learning the power of living every single day in faith? And like Abraham, strengthening as we, as we fly toward him, giving him greater glory every single day. Folks, every day, please hear this. Every day of your life is about faith. Didn't the Bible say that's the key? That's the key to everything. Faith. Every day of your life is about faith. There was a multitude of events. Not a lot. A multitude of events that happened in your life all throughout this week that were an opportunity to exercise faith, to express faith, and to live faith. If you're like me, you probably missed a lot of it. You know why? Because I don't go into each day thinking the key today is faith. This day is all about faith. We don't, we don't think about it. And so I walked by all of these things that should have been a place to stretch, to live, to exercise faith, and I, and I don't make it about faith at all. The amazing thing is, not only do we walk through work and relationships and, and ball teams and all these other things we do, we even walk into church and do the same thing there. 
not thinking one thing about faith, just thinking about what I need. I need to sing today. I need to give today. I need to, to sit here and listen today. I need to stay awake. I need to get home and do, 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 do. Never once thinking about faith. It's all about faith. Every conversation you had, the fears, the failures, the opportunities, the challenges, the good day, the bad day, everyone. How, well, I didn't, how am I supposed to know that? How was I supposed to see it? What was I supposed to do? You know, as I tried to answer that question, I realized what the Bible's given me is Abraham. It gives me Abraham as a model, an example of what to do. Well, what does Abraham do? Abraham does three things, best I can tell. Number one, he listens. When God speaks, he listens to him. He slows down, he stops what he's doing, and he listens to God. The second thing he does is he believes it. I'm sure there would have been reason to say, that must have been bad food I ate last night. Oh, that's crazy. That's not going to happen. There's a variety of responses that he could have had to what God was saying, but he chose to believe. And then in that belief, he obeyed. Folks, those three steps are the steps you and I need to take every single day of our lives if we're going to walk a journey of faith. Number one, we need to listen to God. You know, I don't know how many times I've told somebody, you know, doing something is better than nothing. Man, if you, if you could begin spending time, you know, three, four times a week. You ever heard that? Man, if you could try to have a quiet time, spend time in God's Word and pray. Just three, four times a week. You know what? I can't say that anymore. Why, pray tell, would I only want to hear God's voice three, four times a week? Why would I not want to hear God's voice every single day of my life? Why would I want to miss the chance to put my life in the path of God's voice every day of my life? What day do you not want God's voice in your life? And that's what he's given us in the Bible. Every day I have a chance to listen to him. Every day I have a chance to quicken my heart, to quicken my eyes, so that I see what he sees as I walk throughout the day. And because I see what he sees, I then have maybe a little bit better knowledge of then, okay, this is what a step of faith would look like. First thing I need to do is I need to listen to God every day. And after I listen to him, I need to believe it. Not rationalize it, not dismiss it, not explain it away, not ignore it. I need to believe it. And out of that belief flows obedience as a matter of fact at that point obedience is not work it's a joy i didn't say it was easy obedience can be very hard but it's a joy when you have first listened and you have second believed righteousness the opportunity to see god the opportunity to see the impossible the opportunity to know his power his presence his purposes Every day. The key is not how hard you work. The key is faith. Where are you in your journey of faith? Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. And again, I just want to say thank you that you've shown me Abraham and Sarah. Not only have you given me evidence, but you showed me their, their, their journey, their path wasn't perfect. And that encourages me not to quit. <laughs> that, that encourages me, Lord, not to give up. Because my, my journey of faith, my path is not perfect. I've had some doubts. I've had some messes. I thank you that you're big enough for that. Your power will handle that. Your power, your work has everything I need. So that I can be declared righteous and have the opportunity to see you and to see heaven. Father, help us to realize that a life of faith is not 
a moment in time where we believe in Jesus. A life of faith is just that. It's an entire life. There's a point in time where we come to faith in Christ. That's a point. That's a decision. For some of us, it may happen right here today. But then from that decision, a journey and a life begins. Lord, I don't want to be stalled on the runway. I don't want to be taken back control. God, I want to live a life of faith. Would you give me the discipline? Give me the faith to open up my Bible and listen. To believe. To obey. God, I want my life. I believe I pray for all of us in here. We want our lives. We want this church to be a place where you receive greater glory. Greater glory. And in that, I get to be declared righteous. How awesome. It's in your name we pray. Amen.